gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Right? Welcome to Remarkable a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Taylor Swift with the VP of Brand, Content, and Communications at Zoom Info. Megan, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ian? Doing wonderful, excited to chat with you today, talk about Tay-Tay, talk about Zoom Info, talk about your background, your content strategy. So let's get into it. Why did you pick Taylor Swift? Well, I mean, I think we can all agree, Taylor Swift needs no introduction. My name is Taylor. Why would you pick Taylor Swift? But when I was thinking about inspiration, a source of inspiration for great marketing content, great marketing campaigns, especially this summer, I've just been thinking about Taylor Swift. You can't escape from her right now. I mean, she's selling out, like, I think it's going to be the greatest selling tour of all time. But I keep finding myself just like admiring things that she's doing and being like, wow, that's so smart. And full disclosure, I'm not actually really a big Taylor Swift fan. My two daughters are. My daughters are nine and seven. They love her. And I would say, I'm fine. Like, I think I like her music. I'm not like a crazy, devoted fan. Oh, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just admire her as a businesswoman, as a brand genius, I think. So that's why I picked her. Yeah, and we recently did an episode where we just zoomed in on the Eras Tour and sort of like all the marketing and all the stuff around that. So it's fun to sort of zoom out on Taylor a little bit and cover sort of like her as a brand and as a marketer, of which she is one of the best, undoubtedly. But before we get into that, tell us about uh, your role at Zoom Info. Sure. So I oversee brand content and communications at Zoom Info. So I have a team of about 25 people and we do everything. Basically, we, we tell the story of the company. And for people who don't know, Zoom Info is a go to market platform that helps salespeople and marketers find, acquire, and grow their next customers. So basically, you can use our software to figure out who's in market for your product at any time using our data. And then you can use our platform to engage with them and automate your workflows so you can work a lot more efficiently. So my job includes everything from brand. We actually just launched our first brand campaign, which is really exciting. I oversee external comms, internal comms, all of our channels like our blog, our social media accounts. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. My job is like always interesting. Never dull is how I would put it.
Meredith, who the heck is Taylor Swift? So like Megan said, she almost needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway, just for the sake of it. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. She's a singer, songwriter. She's originally from Pennsylvania. She's an all-around music industry phenomenon. And she's currently on her much-talked-about Eras tour, which we covered in a previous episode. Originally, she was into country music, but now she can basically sing like any genre and be amazing. I would say she's generally considered a pop artist, but she's collected Grammys, American Music Awards, Billboard Music Awards, and more number one albums than any other woman ever. And she has a super strong, defined personal brand that fans can tap into and kind of own a bit of. So like wearing red lipstick, wearing the number 13, like fans will write it on their their hand before going to the show, talking and singing about their exes and heartbreak and breakups and wearing friendship bracelets has been a really big part of it. So aside from that, she, and this is like something that I think is like super cool and really spoke to me, was like she's a strong advocate for artist rights, specifically in like getting compensated for your work and owning your music. I had wanted to own my work Mm -hmm. of my first six albums when I changed record labels. My first six albums were actually sold away from me. I just figured if I if I made them the first time, I can make them again. But to keep it like really fresh, like I've been reading about like the Eras tour and everything that's coming up in the news. And these are all like kind of derivative news stories, but they're entertaining nonetheless. So it's like recently, like she's made headlines because Levi's Stadium in San Francisco is banning what they're calling Taylor Gating. But they're basically like, hey, fans who don't have tickets, you can't just hang around outside the venue. Thousands of fans show up. I have been showing up at other venues and just like hanging out and tuning into her music because you can still hear it, right? You just can't see it. And so they're like, hey, you can't do that. So they're putting a ban on that. And towns and cities are naming, renaming themselves like officially for the couple days that she's performing there. So like she's performing in Santa Clara on the 28th and 29th of July. And they're officially renaming themselves uh, Swifty Clara, It doesn't quite have the same ring, I would say, as Santa Clara. And the other thing that I read was, while Taylor Swift, she didn't add the Philippines to her Asian leg of her worldwide tour, but instead, there's this Taylor Swift impersonator named Taylor Sheesh, who's a drag queen, who is 28-year-old Filipino Mac Coronel, and she has skyrocketed in popularity and is filling up venues and selling out tickets like it was actually Taylor Swift. So they're kind of like filling a void for Swifties for Taylor fans. So I thought that was cool. And let's get into like, what is Taylor's voice and her aesthetic? She has like, she kind of operates in like themes. So lyric wise, she herself has said she has three styles for writing songs, which she's defined as quill lyrics, fountain pen lyrics, and glitter gel pen lyrics. And so she's got kind of like this feel to each of her songs. And similarly, her albums each have sort of a designated aesthetic, and her social media accounts generally mirror that. So she has branded and rebranded herself, and in between, she's totally wiped her social media, and fans are like, oh my god, she's about to release an album, and then it comes out, so it makes engagement totally shoot up, which is pretty wild, and that's how closely fans are watching her. And so overall, this sort of like categorization gives her content structure that fans really like understand and connect with and follow really closely. Another thing that Taylor really does is she she calls it Taylurking in that she's lurking on her fans' content on social media. And so this is kind of a theme in her content as well. She really cares about what fans are doing. 
And so she's closely following what they're saying, what they're doing, what they care about. And so she like builds that into her content and she gives fans what they want. And so she's like, you know, what do my fans care about? I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to fans. I'm going to connect with them. And one of the things that kind of stem from that is she challenges and engages and rewards fans with clues and theories all hidden in her content with these hidden messages and there are certain numbers that are significant that she plays into, certain ways she wears her hair even, or does her makeup. We have a PDF file for the, for the Easter eggs in this video. Yes! Because there are so many that, that we could not keep track. Ugh. And so fans are like, oh my God, she's hinting at such and such. And it's generating a lot of talk, right? On top of all of that, I would say, lastly, she really uses her platform to speak out about things she cares about. So it's all super like values based. She's a big supporter of the LGBTQA plus community. She talks out about bullying and like how she's been bullied and is like vulnerable in that way. You are going to call me a tired, tacky wench. She supports artist rights, like I mentioned, and legal rights to compensation and just like having control over her own music and her own voice. So that I, all I would say is really only even a fraction of what she does. That's all a part of her voice. You could probably spend like an hour like listing out everything that she does from a marketing perspective. It's incredible when you hear it all listed out like that. Totally. I know. I could just go into a trance and listen to Meredith talk about Taylor Swift for the next hour. It's so good. <laughs> Me too. So, Megan, what jumps out at you? Why is she so remarkable? What are some of the things that jump out? So when I think about what what lessons would I pull from Taylor Swift, it falls into three buckets. And one is this incredible community that she has built, right? It's almost like she and her fans are feeding off of each other and giving each other energy. But she's putting in just as much effort as they are, right, into like building this community. Fans came up with a name for themselves and it's so cute. They call themselves Swifties. And it's adorable. I would say the second bucket is just her authenticity, that she's just incredibly herself, which that sounds like a simple thing, but a lot of people, even whether it's an artist or a company or a brand, fall into the trap of maybe trying to be something that they think the market thinks they should be or the world thinks they should be. And Taylor has always just been like unapologetically herself and authentic. And then the third piece of that is she keeps reinventing herself. It's like she rises like a phoenix. She just keeps rising from the ashes of like a, a new version of Taylor, but maintains that authenticity throughout. So for me, it's like those main three things that I think she does really well. I think one of the things that jumps out to me most of all is that she writes her own lyrics. It transcends the music when it's her writing about like her lived in experiences. I mean... How popular is just like her love life, right? Like to fans and to not even to fans, but to tabloids and, you know, all that other sort of stuff. These media sites were just reveling in it. I mean, they loved it. Just like, look at the slideshow of Taylor's ex-men. So when she wrote those songs back in the day, specifically about like the guys in her life, it had this like second and third and fourth and fifth order effect of which, you know, we talked about this on the other episode, but that she, when she re-released her music so she could have ownership over it, that she even had to put like, hey, like, don't go after John Mayer. Don't go after these people. This is how I felt at the time. Like, it's, you know, all that stuff. Some of the people you've been with uh, 
like John Mayer, claims your hit song, Dear John, was about him and he felt humiliated. Oh, come on. But like none of that authenticity happens if you don't know that she writes her own lyrics. And like, there are so many artists that don't do it. There's so many artists that avoid that stuff. And like, as a marketer, especially with what we're seeing right now with like the rise of AI, authenticity is going to be that much more important, right? Because like, you want to know that the person is actually doing the thing that they're saying and that is coming from them, right? And like that stuff like really matters. It's why people look at, you know, podcasts and video series are so popular is because it's, it's coming directly from their mouth. And I think that like, there is no doubt in my mind, Taylor's not Taylor if she had someone write her lyrics. Like there's no doubt. And she just would never have become such an icon. Thank you so much. Yeah. And like, She's super talented in that way, but it's also like part of, you know, committing to this whole thing. I couldn't agree more with that. And I, I think that's such a great point about AI and the fact that like, you know, AI can try to mimic, it can take information that's already out there and turn it into something that looks like a facsimile of what's already out there, right? But AI can't come up with that new information, right? Like AI can't provide that fresh data input about who Taylor is dating or who she's broken up with. That doesn't exist unless she writes it into her lyrics. What happened to that track that was eight seconds of static? It went number one. You can think about that from a, we actually talk about this at Zoom Info from a data perspective. Like AI is useless if your data, like in your CRM is crap, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So that's why like having that data, having that original information is so important. Otherwise, AI doesn't even work. So I think that that really does actually apply to like Taylor Swift's song lyrics, but I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. And specifically like AI as a release of content, AI does all sorts of other things that are incredibly like amazing and, you know, gene sequencing and all sorts of other adaptations that are ridiculously like A over my head and B like life-changing and, and world-altering. But as it relates to creating that new content that did not exist before, which is like what we talk about on the show, is that I think that there is going to be a sort of movement of originality that people are going to care even more that it's original. And I'm sure there's going to be another part of this where people like, where nobody cares, where it's like the Turing test of like, who cares who wrote it? So the idea is like, could AI write a Taylor Swift song? Absolutely it could. But does it matter if she doesn't write it? Like, that's the thing. She could write a song using AI and perform it. And if nobody ever knew and they thought that it was her writing it, then like that matters. But at the end of the day, if she says, I wrote this, and we believe her, and that we trust her, and we found out that that's not the case, and would break our trust, then it really matters. And so, like, I think that, like, part of her is, like, she lives these experiences, she puts those feelings into her work, and it resonates with people at the most, like, atomic level when you hear her work, because you feel like you know her, and you feel it's such an intimate experience in that way, and she's so open about that stuff, and like, that's what makes it great. That's what makes it like amazing. That's what makes people love it because they feel like they know her. And like, you know, I don't feel like that way about Rihanna, who's an amazing artist, but like she doesn't write all of her stuff, you know, and it's just a different thing. She actually tries to maintain a certain mystique about herself, For sure. right? It's like a 
totally different strategy almost, right? Back it up, back it the fuck up. Whereas Taylor is like, no, I want to tell you all of my feelings. <laughs> and like, I want you to know everything that I went through, you know, with this guy or like recently, I think she released an Easter egg. Like I think she played a snippet from a new song and I forget, again, it shows I'm not actually a real Taylor Swift fan because I don't even know the name of it. But my cousin, who's a big fan, was telling me, she's like, oh, it was this song about how she was in the emergency room and waiting on someone who was in the ER. And it, 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 my cousin started crying hearing a snippet of this song. I'm beside myself. I was like, oh my God, you're like way too invested. But, and then she released the song, I think the next day or, you know, but like, it's like that creating, first of all, that buildup, that excitement of like, I'm going to give you like a little piece of this new thing that's coming out. And only my most devoted fans are going to be paying attention enough. So like, I'm going to reward you, right? And then I'm going to give you like this really personal, deeply personal information. That's like the key, I think, to Taylor Swift. In addition to that, she's like an incredible songwriter, but her lyrics, they are really everything. I did not know about the quill pen, fountain pen, glitter pen thing. And like, again, one of those things where like you hear that and like as someone who creates content, you're like, oh my gosh, of course. Of course she has something of the way that she thinks and like to, to read these. So what she says, like quill is like, it sounds like the lyrics would sound like a letter written from Emily Dickinson's great grandmother while suing a, a lace curtain. That's like quill. Yes. And then <laughs> yes. fountain pen is like modern storylines or references, like with a poetic twist and then glitter gel pen lyrics. She says, it's the junk girl at the party who tells you that you look like an angel in the bathroom. These are songs with lyrics that make you want to dance, sing, and toss glitter around the room. They remind you not to take yourself too seriously, which is something we all need to hear these days. <laughs> it's like she just gets it so well, and she like has a strategy, and she has her tactics of how she does it, and she's so thoughtful in the way that she does everything. And like she goes to the freaking ends of the earth with all the little gimmicks and all the hidden stuff. And you're like, of course, like, of course you have like processes that you follow. Of course you do this stuff. Like, because how else would you get here? And like, that's just, it's so fascinating. Because like for the Rihanna example, Rihanna, obviously mega popular. She's beloved as well. Don't throw any shit up here. I'm leaving. No shit up here. I love your gifts. Just make sure that I'm fucking, you know, not one of my people out. It's just totally a different, you know, feel and strategy and, and all that sort of stuff. But hearing Taylor's version of that, I just thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like marketing 101, right? Like, know the voices that you want to talk in and speak in those voices in the way that you want to, you know, talk to that group of people. And use the gimmick of like a type of pen, which like is, I, I, it's amazing. And it's, it's her attention to detail that really gets me. It's so on brand for her. But, and then you think about it and you're like, I guarantee you, like if we were to get super meta on her listeners, I guarantee you that there's like hardcore love everything she does no matter what. Then there's probably people who like, like me, I probably don't even know this. And I'm like, I probably love like the glitter gel pen ones. And maybe I don't yeah. like the cool ones or whatever. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know that. And then obviously like the branding that she's done and the rebranding and the rebirth and the evolution of her career also like adds to that sort of thing. But like, as a listener, to just be like, I don't like Taylor Swift or whatever. And you're like, 
Well, I mean, there's that one song or like there's a couple songs that I like or whatever. And just to think of it as like, oh, well, they're probably fitting into these personas and genres that not personas necessarily, but the genre that she's writing is just like endlessly fascinating to me. Another thing, the Taylor King thing is that she listens <laughs> like every good marketer, you know, spends time with the customers and she's out there listening to what her fans want and responding to that stuff. And like, of course, that's how she can, you know, layer in all these little hidden messages and hidden secrets and know that people are going to find them because she's probably reading how much people freaking love that stuff, right? She's engaging with them. Like she's investing the time in her fans that they are investing in her. And I actually think that's very unusual, especially for a pop star of her magnitude. Like who does that? Like I, I can't think of any other star with her wattage, you know, that that actually takes the time to like lurk on wherever it is, like in, you know, Instagram or message boards, Reddit, or, you know, I don't know where she is doing her Tay lurking, but I can also <laughs> picture her doing this like totally. And I just think that is, it's so unusual and it's paying off, right? Like look at the payoff because all it does is feed the frenzy of her fans, of the community. And it like strengthens those bonds, I think, between her and her customers. Ultimately, that's what they are, right? Your fans are your customers. And then they're going to go buy more stuff. They're going to buy your songs. They're going to buy your merchandise. They're going to buy your concert tickets. And for me, that lesson there is like, yeah, you have to invest in your audience. Like you have to listen to them and actually put the work in. It's just, it's so smart. You got to give to get. Like you absolutely have to give to get. You have to have the like foresight to know what they want, right? To be able to predict what they want and to be able to see like this is the type of stuff. But you also have to like give them these things in order to get, you know, something in return. And she's she's so good at that. I also just want to highlight that like she's super smart. And I think that she's been categorized by the media in her early part of her career as like not necessarily that way. And it's pretty cool to watch someone like well over a decade later, like I was playing like three-dimensional chess and like <laughs> y'all weren't <laughs> sort of a thing. And like you kind of thought that I was like a dumb blonde girl and like, you know, look at the receipts. Let's see it. And like that part of it to me is really cool that she's just like, you know, I mean, she's been a success the whole time, but the 10-year overnight success sort of a thing where it's like, to be the most accomplished like female artist ever is insane. <laughs> so like, you know, I don't totally. think 10 years ago, people thought that would happen, right? No way. And you think about, right, it's almost like the nerdy smart girl is winning out in the end, right? Because she like does her homework. And to see that pay off, like you said, in she played the long game, right? And she's still playing it. Like she still has so much more. She's, she's so young when you think about it. But the level of, of foresight, the level of work that she has put in, I agree. I think she was mocked a lot early in her career for like not being good at singing live well. You know, she wasn't like a very strong singer. She was mocked for like all the boyfriends that she had, right? Which she took crap for. Even when she first came out, like I, I remember when like Shake It Off came out and she was kind of made fun of a little bit for the sort of rapping that she does in that song. Mm -hmm. I don't know if to call it that. The cringy sort of nature of some of the things that she does, for sure. Yes. There's a little bit of the cringe factor with her. There ha always has been. And, 
instead of like backing away from that, she leaned in so hard on the cringe. It was a blast. And she was like, (laughs) this is who I am. And like, if you have a problem with that too bad, like uh, this is Taylor Swift. This is what I'm all about. And I'm going to outwork everyone and put in the time. And yeah, it's pretty amazing to see. I think for me, one of the big marketing takeaways from Taylor Swift in the totality of her career is her acknowledgement that like, I know my fans better than you know them. And when she is mocked for XYZ, that she's like, I know what I'm making and I know who it's for. And like, if you don't like it, it's not for you. And I think that that's like one of those things that as a marketer, when you're talking to leadership or whatever, and they're like critiquing the way that you're creating whatever it is, copy or content or or your marketing campaigns or whatever. And someone's like, well, I wouldn't listen to that or I wouldn't watch that or I wouldn't read that. And you just have to be like, it's not for you. Like, we're not making this for you. You're the CEO of like, you know, this company. Like, our marketing is not for you. So like, I don't need you to like it. I need them to like it. At the end of the day, you have to have that North Star of like community first. And she just, you know, obviously the art, you know, I feel like comes first. But for her, I think it's like the community right there alongside it. Totally. And yeah, and I think the lesson there too is you, right, you can't be everything for everyone. You have to pick a lane. You have to decide what you're doing and commit to it. The hundreds or thousands of dumb ideas that I've had are what led me to my good ideas. You have to give yourself permission to fail. And I've seen this happen when I worked in journalism, now working in marketing in corporate America. Like, you know, if you don't know your audience, you're going to fail. You have to know who they are, what they think about, what they're worried about, what they're stressing about. You have to really put in that time and effort because otherwise you can't get inside their heads and you can't figure out what's going to resonate with them. Anything else on on Tay-Tay or should we get to Zoom Info? I think I'm ready for Zoom Info. All right. (laughs) Although I could Uh, talk about Taylor like all day, but it's fine. (laughs) I could too. But as a Zoom Info customer here at Caspian, I can tell you I'm infinitely excited to chat uh, about Zoom Info stuff. Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. So what is your content strategy? I would say fundamentally, above all, we try to just be really useful. Like there's so much useless content out there. First of all, there's just so much content out there, right? Like in general, I feel like we are all bombarded with content every day. This has immediately become a nightmare for me. And so we try to cut through the noise and just provide content that can help our audience do their jobs better. So that's like, I would say, the overarching goal of everything that we create so that people will keep coming back and clicking on our stuff. A little more specifically, our content strategy is cross-platform, multi-channel, and we're constantly pressure testing it to, to see what's working and what's not. So it's a mix of everything from, you know, traditional blogs, ebooks, how-to videos. We have a newsletter. We've had podcasts. We do some long-form video. We're experimenting with more interactive content right now. So it's kind of a mix of a lot of different things. And we have a different approach depending on the channel. So we really try and look at what do people want to read on LinkedIn or what do they want to engage with on LinkedIn? What's the best format that we should use to deliver a newsletter? Like is email better or is 
LinkedIn a better format for for delivering a newsletter? Like what's the right length of video, right? Like, so I think we're constantly just trying to look at what's doing well and why, and then how can we do more of that? What are some of the, your favorite pieces of content or campaigns that you've done so far? Well, as I mentioned, we just launched our first brand campaign. Very exciting. We created three video ads in partnership with a creative agency, Colossus, which is a boutique agency based in Boston. They were awesome partners for us. And I would say the ads basically are kind of like a coming out party for Zoom Info to the world, like explaining what we do, what we're all about in a really, I think, compelling, interesting way. So they're like fun, catchy. We we released the first ad and then we're going to release the next two over the course of the summer. But that was just like a really rewarding experience to be a part of because we had to look inward and really define like, who are we? What's our voice? What are we trying to say? What do we want people to know about us in 30 seconds or less, right? Which is like a hard thing to do. So it was very cool to be a part of that process. And I'm very happy with, we actually had an ad week reporter just wrote about the campaign today. So it was Cool. cool to see. Yeah. So you can check out the article. So the brand campaign, that's me just like tooting our our own horn about that. And then the second thing I would say is, so one thing we talk about a lot at Zoom Info is the concept of go-to-market plays. And I know, I think Ian or maybe one of your coworkers was telling me how much they love our go-to-market plays website. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) You guys are like, Plays fans, which is amazing. So it's zoominfo.com slash plays if anyone wants to check it out. But basically what we did was, and this was one of the first like assignments I got from our CEO when I first started at Zoominfo two and a half years ago. He was like, I want us to build this ebook of 100 of our best go-to-market plays. And so for people who don't know, a play is basically like a repeatable motion you can run within sales or marketing or across both for how you're going to build your business. So it's like a thing you do over and over again and that you can scale up. Let's say, you know, someone at another company changes jobs and and that's in your target market. So when that new person is hired at a new company, they're typically like looking to make their mark and they have an opportunity to buy new software maybe. So you should reach out to that person, right? So like set an alert when you can check when someone is moving to a new job and you automate that response. So every time that happens, you're on top of it. So you're going to get to that person before like your competitor does. So that's like an example of a play. So we basically sourced all of these plays. It was like this painstaking process where we were like, okay, what's the trigger for the play? Like what's the action that you take? What's the the desired outcome? And we got a hundred of these. And it took many months. And then we published a big ebook, which has been like a great source of content for us. We still actually are using that ebook in a lot of our campaigns, our marketing campaigns. And then we took that ebook and we turned it into a web page. And so now you can just like go on this website and you can click on a play and it can work for really any company. Like that's what's cool about it. You could take that play and customize it for your organization. So that's, I think, what I mean by useful content. Like that's something you can just take that, you could take the play, you can run it tomorrow. And we also turned it into an Airtable that we shared on LinkedIn. We we open sourced it on LinkedIn. That Airtable went crazy. Our CEO shared it on his personal LinkedIn profile. And like, it was like his most, one of his top engaged posts of the year. So that was a real indication to us of like, wow, 
people just want like useful stuff that they can take and copy and like do their job better. First of all, I just love it. It's an awesome, awesome resource. Our team looks at it all the time. It's zoominfo.com slash place. But I think it speaks to a very common B2B marketing thing that people underinvest in, which is sort of like short, tactical, helpful content. And this is just such a great way to package it. And obviously, like go to market plays are very specific to like go to market because this is what we do. It's funny. So we evangelize the video podcast play because that's like what we do as a podcast as a service company. And I think about it all the time. And nobody knows about it. Not nobody, but lots of people. I mean, we have 60 plus customers. But when we bring it up to people, we're like, oh yeah, these are the three plays that you can run when you're running a video podcast. You can do this, this, and this. And people are like, oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that you could do those three things. So like, those are the sort of things where like, you can really educate people with something that they can apply right now and then hopefully they use your solution. But if not, like at least you actually move the ball down the field for them. You know what I mean? Like you're like, hey, they're implementing something that we created. This is really dope. Totally. I love that. I love that you guys are also evangelizing plays yourselves. That's so cool to hear. And I think education is is the right word for it, right? Like sharing that knowledge. And yeah, maybe they'll buy some info, maybe they won't. But they'll also probably remember that they saw that play, right? Oh, that came from Zoom Info. Those people are smart. Like, they must really know what they're doing, right? And then they keep you in mind for maybe when they are in the market for that type of solution. So it's also about, like, for me, building a brand reputation and brand equity. And we want to be known as a useful solution. We want to be helpers for people. We actually talked about this when we were doing our brand work. We were talking about, like, which brand archetype are you? And you can be the hero. You can be a helper. There's like eight or nine of them. And we want to be the hero, right? Like we want to be the hero that comes in and, and helps you like save the day and help you build your business and help you grow. And I think that's an important question of like, who do you want to be as a company? Who do you want to be as a brand? What are you all about? Basically, it's like kind of an existential question, but. And it passes the bookmark test, right? It's like, is someone going to bookmark this and come back to it later, right? Like for us, when we create like a series, we want to have moments that are sort of like, oh my gosh, let me get in the notes app. Like if I can like get someone to hear something on a podcast or hear a story and they're like, take out the notes app or they slack it to their colleague, like, hey, have we ever thought about this? Like that's that same type of moment of like, can you implement this in your business right now? And is it something that you can like come back to over and over again? That's why, so for our show, Pipeline Visionaries, we would do these uncuttable budget items. So we do three uncuttable budget items every episode. And then we made like a massive listicle of like all the uncuttable budget items that like all the top CMOs of tech companies are doing. And you can just say like, this is how people are spending their money. This is the best way they're spending their money. And like that stuff is so valuable because it's what your peers are doing, right? Their best practices being implemented in real time. It's not like this is written in a book four years you know, ago. It's like, what are they doing right now, you know? And it's so specific too, right? Like, I think the key too is like really being specific with that information. I think that's why the plays have been successful for us because it's pretty granular, right? And it's interesting because we've been doing a series of events with our customers that we started earlier this year or end of last year, actually. And we do a Q&A at the end where we're like, what do you want to talk about? Like, what are your questions? And the questions are always really specific. Like, 
what KPIs do you use to hold sales and marketing accountable together, right? People just want like the exact information that they can take and like literally go implement tomorrow at work. And I think sometimes in the content world, you can get caught up in like, well, we need to do this type of thing. We need to do this like longer post for this reason. And like, often you don't. Like often short, actionable to the point is going to be more impactful. Not always, but like a lot of the time, I think. How do you think about the ROI of content marketing, the ROI of brand? Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about this. And it's something that's very top of mind because now that we launched our brand campaign, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we measure this, right? I think it's hard. You know, obviously there are basic metrics like engagement, views. For our newsletter, we track subscriber growth. We actually have created an internal dashboard at ZoomInfo. We worked with our analytics team and it shows us like ACV and leads influenced by each piece of content. Now the key word there is influenced, right? Because it's impossible to like draw that exact direct link of how that piece of content ultimately, you know, led to those dollars. But it's been really helpful for us because we now have a good sense of what's doing well, what's not, you know, and we pay very close attention to it. I think brand is tougher. It's like, you know, there's share of voice that you can measure, which we're tracking. But what I have found with share of voice, so we use a tool called Blue Ocean and we're using it to track our brand. And like, you'll see share of voice go up one day or go down very dramatically the next week. And sometimes it can be because the competitors that we're tracking ourselves against, they spent a lot of money on something or they released a brand campaign. And so our share of voice went way down because they ate up a lot of like the airtime. So it's imperfect and it's hard to do, but I think you have to try to track that ROI because if you don't, like you're not going to have the buy-in from your executive team, right? Like you, you have to be able to prove, hey, here's why this is valuable, but it's a challenge. When we first started this brand process, we did a survey. We commissioned someone to do a survey of our audience to just do kind of like a brand perception survey of what do you think of Zoom Info? What does Zoom Info do? What are they about? Like just to test that, that provided a baseline for us for our brand efforts. And then we're going to do another survey at the end of the year to see, okay, did we move the needle at all with this brand campaign? Like, are we changing perception? If not, why not? And so... You know, again, it goes back to like talking to your audience and just seeing how they perceive you. Love it. Obviously, I know you're excited about the spring campaign. Any other things that that you're doing or that you've done that uh, you're sort of excited about right now? Yeah. So, well, we talked about plays. And so I would say like phase two of go-to-market plays is this thing that we're working on right now. And it's a tool called the Modern Go-to-Market Index. And it's basically a framework that we created that'll measure each company's sophistication level of their go-to-market motion. So it's like, we'll ask you 10 questions. Eventually, you'll be able to just like do it on our website. And you answer the questions about like how you run your go-to-market strategy. And then we'll show you, okay, well, here's the maturity curve of like companies that are up and to the right. They're like running the most sophisticated, most modern go-to-market motion that exists, right? But maybe you're like in the middle and here are the things you need to do to get up into the right. So they're still building the tool. But what I love about it is that we're basically like providing this easy free way for companies to figure out 
how good are you at building your business and going to market? And how can we close those gaps? And so again, it goes back to education, providing useful content. So I'm excited about that. I think people are going to really like, our fans of our plays especially, hopefully will like the tool. (laughs) I love it. That is so cool. One of my favorite marketing plays is uh, teach someone something about themselves that they didn't know. It's like always a winning strategy, right? Like always. It's like if you're just like, hey, did you know that your, you know, left foot is a, you know, quarter inch longer than your right foot? You'd be like, (laughs) I did not know that. That's crazy. Like, oh, (laughs) that means that you should probably get your, you know, shoe custom insoles or something like that. And it probably would hurt less when you walk. And you'd be like, Thank you. Wow. That's amazing, right? Like anytime you can teach someone about themselves. That's so totally. Well, it's like the BuzzFeed. Remember, like the the heyday of BuzzFeed quizzes. Yes. You know, yes. And it's like everyone was just constantly taking quizzes, and that's what I think of when I think of this tool that we're building. I'm like, everyone loves the stupid quiz, even though some are stupid and some aren't. Ours is not stupid, but like at the end of the day, it's like you get sucked in because you're like, I want to know, like, what am I? Like, am I good at this thing? Am I more creative or am I whatever it is? And so this tells you like about your company basically. So anyway, it'll be cool. I'll send you guys the link when it comes out. I love it. And for our listeners, you can go to zoominfo.com and just subscribe to the newsletter and you'll get it right there. Megan, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you today. For listeners, check out Zoom Info. Obviously a lot of stuff always going on there. Check out the plays. They're really cool. And they have tons of stuff for marketers. Megan, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? I don't think so. I so appreciate the time. It was so great chatting with you guys. And thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Taylor will be proud. And she'll totally uh, listen to this episode. (laughs) Yeah, she would. You know, I mean, hey. cool. She probably would. Taylor on us. Thanks, Megan. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>